Nicole Strickland. I have been fascinated with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. Hello, hello. Hope you're doing well on this fabulous Thursday. I can't believe it's almost October or hashtag ghosttober as what's going around right now. So welcome to another episode of the Afterlife Chronicles and Beyond. I'm your host, Nicole Strickland, of course, on the WLTKDB network. You can get to the site, of course, by visiting WLTKDB.com or the Let's Talk.com. We're all over social media just with that handle, WLTKDB. You can watch via Twitch, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn even, but uh, it's best to watch it on the site. Speaking of the site, uh, lots of great things on there. I'm sure many of you have already visited it probably a hundred times, but lots of cool new uh, features on there. So get on there and roam about a little bit. So before I get into tonight's show, I'm going solo tonight, which is great. I actually love it. My guest tonight uh, could not make it, so we will reschedule him. Just a little bit of housekeeping. I uh, personally have a couple of or few presentations coming up in San Diego. Saturday, I'm actually giving uh, for the first time uh, my new presentation, The Afterlife Chronicles, uh, exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond, which is uh, basically it emanates from my book, my forthcoming book of the same name, and of course, the radio show too. So I kind of made a little bit of a trio out of three of those, which is great. So that's going to be at the Escondido Public Library. I have presented there before. I think this is the fourth time that I'm presenting there this Saturday. And then of course, the San Diego Paranormal Research Society has uh, investigated the library twice so far. So we look forward to doing that again once COVID lifts in the city. Hold on, let me take a sip of water. Because you know me, I love sipping my water during the show. So, uh, and then of course, I'm doing another presentation at the Aztec Brewery too, up in Vista later on in the month. I think I have a few others scheduled there to be determined. Uh, more importantly, though, is WLTKDB's uh, upcoming major event, Gallery Readings for the World, that is going to take place. October 30th at 4 p.m. Eastern, so 1 p.m. Pacific. So I'll be hosting it, which I'm very honored to do. And of course, Diet Renee, Missy Hart, and Pete Orbea, fabulous psychic mediums are going to be there to offer readings uh, for, for whoever uh, wants a reading. So you can get tickets right through Eventbrite if you go to WLTKDB.com. You can also access Eventbrite through there as well, I believe. So I hope uh, we get a good turnout. It's going to be a major event. Uh, another event coming up the weekend of November 5th through November 7th is the Port Gamble Ghost Conference up in the very quaint, historic. It, it's basically like a little town out of Maine. And I think the history of Port Gamble, if you read up on the history, you'll know why it's designed like that. But I actually had the pleasure of going and actually speaking at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference. I believe it was 2017. Fantastic area, fantastic conference, of course, headed up by uh, Pete Orbea, host of Paranormal Pete on Tuesday nights at 11 p.m. Uh, Eastern, I believe. Eastern, of course, so 8 p.m. Pacific. So great conference, great people. I know this year, as, as in the past years, there's a, a really good lineup of speakers and uh uh, classes and, and readings, you name it. So fantastic events. So, and I think there's going to be some virtual options as well. I don't know if um, they're mainly classes. I don't know if some presentations are going to be set up virtually, but if you go to portgambleparanormal.com, you'll get all that information right there. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but my forthcoming book, it's slated to come out uh, this fall 
uh, by Schiffer Publishing. I've published with them before, fantastic publishing company. Now with COVID, I don't know if they're backed up a little bit. I haven't talked to my editor in a while. So uh, I'm waiting to get the proof and all that and all the designs. But uh, the forthcoming book, The Afterlife Chronicles, Exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond is coming out, and I'm very excited. It was a, you know, I've written a few books now, and it was it was just a joy to write. Uh, a lot of deep stuff, a lot of deep information is discussed there, and so, uh, like I said, the the book, the presentation that I'm doing on Saturday, and of course the radio show, they kind of all mix in with each other. It's all a similar theme, which is great. So why I wrote the book, I guess the purpose of it, in my opinion, is to show the great, I guess, cosmic connection that mortals, mortality has with uh, the afterlife. And I think that for various reasons, and some of these are elusive, but, you know, some obvious ones, you know, there's a lot of challenges going on in, in today's society. There are a lot of people hurting each other, yada, yada, yada. And so I think that that plus all these other reasons are the purpose for why, in a sense, the afterlife is reaching out to uh, humanity, to mortality, and then vice versa. And of course, you know, the paranormal is, is an, it, it has its own hot seat these days. And it's a topic that many more people are open to discussing it's a topic that, uh, you know, people are more willing to share their experiences and learn about uh, the different aspects of paranormal research and all of that. So I think that, too, is contributing to this cosmic yet uh, intrinsic connection between the afterlife and uh, mortality. So, oh, my gosh, I have to, my mouth. What? what? It's crazy when you go solo, your mouth gets so dry. My goodness. So. As a paranormal researcher, you know, when I first started, and I've been doing this in the field for about 20 years, and I, I consider myself a student of the paranormal, there is no such thing as an expert in the paranormal. You can be a specialist, for example, you can be, you know, maybe you're, you're uh, like, like Todd Bates, for example, a station manager is a specialist in audio and, and EVP and, and, and that type of methodolo methodology. You can uh, really be into cameras and photography and and, and so on. Uh, but there are no experts. Uh, but when I first started, I was very into learning about, you know, conducting an investigation, learning about the ropes of a case study and all of that, and really excited to get really good evidence and have these personal experiences. And I still am, don't get me wrong. I still am. And I look forward to every investigation because there's always something new to learn. There's always something new you can learn from someone else, your teammates, even your clients. And that's the beauty of it. But in addition to the data that we get, in addition to the, you know, equipment that we use, in addition to the evidence aspect, whether it's subjective or objective data, objective meaning like an EVP or anomalous photograph or a photograph, subjective meaning like a personal experience that you have that maybe backs up you know, an EVP, for example, or an ITC clip, for example. In addition to that, I've become more in tune to, well, what now? Okay, I have all this, but what now? The what, the, the why, the how, the, the building, the connection, and the rapport with the energies that, uh, the spiritual energies that I come across. What can I offer them? What can I learn from them? Do they need assistance? How can I help them if, if they need assistance? So I'm more in tune and in stepping outside of just the excitement of just the investigation and really learning, uh, going behind the curtain and delving a little bit deeper into that connection that we have with the afterlife. So that's, in, in essence, uh, if, if I had to really you know, summarize it, that's the purpose of the book and in, in the presentation that comes from it. It's not to, it's also not to persuade someone to have beliefs in the afterlife. That's not my job. I'm not going to try to convince someone to believe in the paranormal or convince someone to have a belief in, in the afterlife. That's not my job. All I can do as an investigator and as a, as a human being is just open their eyes and heart a little bit to what may lie, what may beyond out there, 
life after death when we pass on when we when we mortals pass on from the uh mortal realm so that's those are the two biggies when it comes to the book and uh the, even the radio show and the presentation. And of course, the topics that I get into in the book, I, I delve into uh, the role of intuition and how that plays into the connection between us and the afterlife, near-death experiences, uh, uh, my theories and my opinions on why the spirit realm communicates with the living, uh, spirit guides, uh, how grief and loss or how having an experience with a departed loved one can even help with that grieving process. So I get into all that. It's There's a lot of information in the book, uh, probably a little bit too much now that I look back, but you know, I enjoyed writing it and I hope I hope whoever reads it can get something out of it. So the topics in it correlate to afterlife study and research. There, there have been so many studies done and so much research into life after death. It's, it's, I had no idea before I even wrote this book that there was this much, much research out there. It's, it's amazing. So I thought I'd take the time tonight to share some of mine. I probably won't get, cause I have many, I'm not going to get to all of them, but I probably have time to share uh, a few of uh, my most profound encounters with uh, the afterlife, with the spirit realm that have really opened up my eyes and heart to, to what lies beyond for us when we, when we pass on. So uh, I thought before I get into that, I'd like to share a little bit about just real quickly, you know, why does the spirit realm connect with the living? Now, if I sat here and said, well, I know absolutely why the spirit realm connects with the living, I would be in a sense of fraud because we don't really know why, right? There are, are probably tons of elusive reasons as to why these two realms connect with each other. But uh, I have some theories based on my uh, involvement in the field for, for uh, all these years these experiences I'm seeing through through my own encounters and talking with others, they're often through synchronicity. You know, we 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 encounter these synchronous events throughout our lives, and 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 people that are open up opened up to synchronicity are going to know when that happens. It's just like an all knowing sense that you know, oh my oh my goodness, this is totally a synchronistic event. So to explain synchronicity, in case there are listeners that are like, wait, what? What's that? What do you mean? It's, it's a series of coincidental events that really cannot be explained through conventional causality between the two, right? So when this happens and you're going about your day, whether you're you know at work or you're running errands or you're on vacation or you're visiting friends, when these sorts of events happen, you will have this sense of like an all knowing that they're related and they're often connected with intuition and, and psychic senses in, in the spirit world. And so it's a beautiful thing to have uh, synchronicity. Sorry, my goodness, my mouth gets so dry. So like I said, you'll have this like all knowing sense of just wonder and awe and you just know like, oh my goodness, that was totally a, a type of synchronicity. So I have some reasons here why I think that there's this growing connection between um, our world and the afterlife. I want to start out with what I, I kind of already mentioned it earlier, but elusive reasons. So there are reasons that we don't know, we may not even be permitted to know in this realm until we are yet in that realm. And then we're going to be like, whoa, yeah, okay, we learn. But I think for humanity, for the living world, I don't think there we're yet permitted to know all the reasons why. I do think that uh, number two, to offer assistance to the grieving process. Uh, this can come through dreams. Uh, dreams are very common. I'll explain. I'll, I'll talk about a dream um, with my deceased cat, Max. Though I've had several with him, but one in particular that came literally the night after he passed. I'll share that later on. Coming through in dreams, uh, visitations, song, images. So to offer assistance to uh, the grieving process, you know, when we are losing when we lose a loved one, th that departed loved one knows and can sense our grief. And it could be one of the reasons why, why potentially that particular loved one may occasionally have a hard time 
transitioning, maybe moving to spirit because maybe uh, the living world is calling their energy based on grief. That's just a theory. Um, to demonstrate that they are at peace, that they've moved on, that they're at peace, they're no longer suffering and in pain. I think that that's a, a big reason, mainly to keep in touch too. You know, they there are loved ones, uh, friends, pets, coworkers, family. When they transition to the other side, they can keep in touch. They come, they visit, and uh, in my experience, when that happens, there's usually a very strong sense of peace, a very, very strong sense of a warmness in your heart and, and a very peaceful feeling uh, to protect and warn of potential danger. In my book, I have a couple of stories from people. I have many people that uh, were gracious enough to share their profound encounters with me for the book. So I think I have about 18 or 19 people that, that shared stories of uh, uh, for this upcoming book of mine. And so there's two in particular that demonstrate that. So to protect and warn of potential danger, uh, to assist a mortal or a living person with transitioning to the other side. This is very common in near-death uh, experiences. You'll read a lot of the evidence and a lot of the studies find uh, a definite pattern that uh, uh, the energies that are going to pass on, that are that are passed on, will come will be there when let's say their friend or their family member are ready to also transition. So that's very common in NDE accounts. And then of course, to uh, demonstrate that there is life in the afterlife, right? If you reverse the word afterlife, you get life after. Okay. So they want us to know, you know what, it's not just dead space here, no pun intended. It's not just black space here. There's life here in the afterworld. And when I believe when we pass that we are, whether it's through Akashic record access, uh, you know, the soul maturity, our, our soul, our, our, the essence of our being, when it passes on, it, it matures. It goes through stages of maturity, you know. And so uh, that happens in the afterlife and, and you get to, to kind of unlock the secrets of the universe, so to speak. And, and there's this infiltration of love and, and goodness into the world. So those are some of the, the reasons, me, my theories and my opinions as to why the ethereal world connects with the living. And it's something that uh, we need to uh, really pay attention to because there is this cosmic shift going on uh, more, more now than ever that there's more of this connection between the two worlds. And I think it's something very beautiful. It's something that deserves a lot of study. It's something that deserves a lot of experience. And it's something to uh, uh, really keep at hand. You know, it's not something to exploit. It's something that I think is very near and dear to all of us. So I know that we have to take a quick station break, as Pete Orbay always says, you got to pay the bills, right? So uh, we're going to do that, take a quick break. And then when we come back, I will get into some really cool stories that I hope can open your heart to the wondrous possibilities that, that exist between the two realms. So we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to the Afterlife Chronicles and Beyond on the WLTKDB Network. I'm your host, Nicole Strickland, and we will be right back. Sunday, October 24th, the 2021 Statler City Psychic Fair in Buffalo, New York. Come out and meet Psychic Medium and host of School Through Spirit, Diet Renee, and Spirit Medium and host of the Ghost Finders, Rob Thompson. Diet Renee is a renowned psychic medium, medical intuitive, and master teacher of psychic mediumship development. Hailing from Wisconsin, Diet trained under world-renowned psychic Lisa Williams. Spirit Medium Rob Thompson is one of DS mediumship development students. He is the host and executive producer of America's longest-running indie paranormal TV show, The Ghost Finders, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, and Roku. He has made guest appearances on other shows, including Discovery Channel's Paranormal 911 and A Haunting, and teaches paranormal research at the Los Angeles City College. Come and meet these two superb mediums together on stage for live gallery readings. 
Remember, Sunday, October 24th, the 2021 Statler City Psychic Fair. Get your tickets now at statlercity.com. That's statlercity.com. Doors open at 1, close at 6. Gallery readings, tarot cards, and more. Statler City Psychic Fair. Tickets at statlercity.com. minutes past the hour you're tuning into the afterlife chronicles and beyond radio show live on the wltkdb network wltkdb.com or the let's talk.com i am your host nicole strickland thank you for joining me and before the break i was uh, giving a little bit of an introduction about uh my forthcoming book the afterlife chronicles exploring the connection between life death and beyond and the presentation and and this radio show that have uh, bloomed and blossomed from that, the the book concept. So I was talking a little bit about the purpose of the book and getting into uh, some of my opinions as to why the spirit world uh, reaches out to the living and, and the connection between mortality and the afterlife. And that connection is growing stronger with each with each day, and it's something to pay attention to. So we were discussing that. So uh, I do want to get into some very deeply personal experiences that I've had at different parts of my life that deal with uh, the spirit realm and 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 connecting with departed loved ones. I have many, so of course I'm not going to get into all of them because of time. Maybe we can do a part two. And I do want to mention uh, one other thing. I was actually talking to a very very, very dear friend of mine. Uh, I'm not going to reveal his name uh, due to confidentiality, but him and I were talking about, uh, he's, he's been going through a lot of uh, some difficult times. And right before the show, about a couple of hours ago, we were on the phone for about two hours. And he shared with me some very deeply spiritual experiences, um, which really just, I, I mean, I was almost in tears and I just had this sense of warmth in, in my heart when he was sharing this with me. And so I'm glad that I'm doing this show tonight. And that right there is a type of synchronicity, right? I mean, to have to talk with him on the same day that I'm doing this type of show, right? There's really no coincidence in that. So these are the types of uh, of experiences that that people can have. And of course, I can't share it. Obviously, that's up to him if he wants to someday. But I just want to let you know, you know, it's it's very spiritual experience. And it really does open your heart to the possibilities that exist out there. So uh, getting into mine, I've elected, I've, I've put a few here, and I know, you know, time and hour flies by, but I do want to start off. Uh, this actually occurred in July of 2011, so two of my very dear friends here in San Diego, uh, I've known them for years, and they're also very interested in the paranormal. Um, they're both very intuitive uh, psychic mediums and their sisters, so Sharon and Don. And so back in July of 2011, uh, coincidentally, I was actually at the Grossmont uh, Shopping Center here in San Diego, uh, just east of San Diego. And we were there, I was there with my mom. And I get a call from Dawn uh, saying that her son was in Grossmont Hospital, which was right or is right across the street from the shopping center that I was at. And uh, she calls me and she said her son was rushed to the hospital and was on life support. And I said, my gosh, I'm like, Dawn, we're right across the street. I mean, even if I was an hour away, I would have driven. So uh, my mom and I drove across the street. And of course, she was out there waiting for us. And I met Dawn out in the front and we hugged and embraced and she was in tears and I was in tears. And so her son, Kyle, uh, actually choked on, uh, I believe it was a pancake and choked so bad that he went cyanotic and was without oxygen for a significant amount of time. And so tragically, that left him pretty much brain dead. And so 
Dawn had asked me, she said, uh, would you like to see him? And I said, I will, that's up to you. If, if you want me to, I would, I would love to. So I had a chance to go in and see him. Um, you know, we all know what an ICU room looks like, right? We've seen it on TV. I mean, I don't know if any of you have been in the ICU, but we know what that's like. And uh, I saw him. He looked very peaceful, which was great, but it was just, it, it's a tragedy all around. So I, there was a waiting room outside of the ICU, pretty big waiting room. And Don and Sharon have a pretty large family. So a lot of family members were there. And then my mom and I uh, were there for that day. And then the next couple of days after that, I was there with, with Don and, and the family. So I believe it was the third day that uh, collectively the medical team and the family decided it was time um, for Kyle to transition. And so, of course, you know, they had to, to pull him off uh, life support. And so I went in to see him again about an hour, maybe an hour and a half before this happened. And I went in with Don, Sharon, and a couple of our other uh, close friends. And, uh, you know, I... I remember touching uh, Kyle's hand and I kind of, I, I was kind of like embracing it a little bit. And I said, you know, I, I forget exactly what I told Kyle, but I said, Kyle, you know, just don't fight it. This is, this is your rite of passage. You're free. You know, you don't have to suffer anymore. You're loved, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so after about 20 minutes, I went back out into the waiting room and the they actually had to transport Kyle to a different room to disconnect the life support. So I was out in the waiting room and it was about 20 minutes that I was in there and I decided I wanted to step outside. There was a hallway and a bathroom and I, and I had to, I stepped outside and I went into the bathroom and I just sobbed. I didn't want her family seeing that. So I went into the bathroom and I sobbed and I was crying and then I got my stuff together. And then there was a bulletin board of, uh, hospital staff and whatnot. And so I was looking at that. And then I decided, okay, well, I'm going to go back into the waiting room. And I sat in the waiting room and there, the waiting room, there was like a bunch of glass windows. So you could see through to where I stepped outside in the hallway. And so I was facing to where my left peripheral vision was kind of seeing the, the glass windows. And all of a sudden I noticed something out of my left peripheral vision. And when I looked, I saw a beach ball sized bright orb, almost as bright as if you look into the sun, I kid you not, about a beach ball sized orb, shoot from around the corner. Well, it was already around the corner, but it that's kind of the motion that it was doing. It dipped down and then shot straight up as if it were going to go shoot out of the ceiling. And I just was like, I looked around to see if anyone else noticed it. And I didn't see anyone noticing it. And I mean, I think someone would have said something. I didn't say anything right away because I wanted to see if anyone else noticed it. I don't think anyone did. And uh, it was about maybe a couple of minutes, a minute or two later when it was announced that Kyle had, I'm going to start crying that Kyle had transitioned right before that. So I believe, I believe wholeheartedly that I potentially witnessed his soul leaving the hospital. And so I didn't know, and I, I again, I've known Don and Sharon for so many years, but I didn't know this is such a tragic event and I didn't, you know, want to upset, upset Don any further. So I called Sharon and I said, Sharon, I had this experience at the hospital and I told her all about it. And I said, I don't know whether I should share this with Dawn. What do you think? And she said, Nicole, you need to share this with her. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yes. And so I shared it with her. And uh, that's when she told me, she said, you know, what's funny about this? And I didn't know this at the time. I found this out later when I called Dawn, Dawn said, you know, it's funny because earlier Sharon said, you know, Don, if anyone's going to have an experience at that hospital, it's going to be Nicole. Now, I don't know why Sharon would have said that. And so I found that out later. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So Don, to this day, we talk about it. And uh, she says, you don't know how much that that experience you've had, you had, ha has helped with my grief. And so um, 
it just was just one of those most beautiful encounters. I just, it's something that you can't plan for. It's just something that happens. And uh, it just to this day, and when, when I think about it, I get tears. And so, hold on a second. And uh, it's a very beautiful event. So I'm, I'm really, really honored to have experienced that. And it's even, I'm even more honored that, that it's helped Dawn. You know, I mean, it's a tragedy to lose a child in that manner. So moving on, this was, oh gosh, 2016. So a lot of you know that I'm a cat lover, right? You've heard Kaylee meowing in the background and whatnot. And so Kaylee and Max were litter mates. And I adopted them shortly after the 2003 uh, wildfires, the cedar wildfires that pretty much burned. I mean... It was like a war zone here. I mean, it was horrible, horrible fires all throughout San Diego. And so it was shortly after that, <clears throat> and I was going around to different pet smarts in San Diego. And this particular pet co off Marina Boulevard was not on my list to go, but something just my gut said, you know what, why don't you stop at this pet co? So I said, okay. So I, I was with my mom. Um, she was doing cat shopping with me. <laughs> so to speak. So we stopped at this pet co and I walked in and right kind of in the front, there were, there were these stacked, I hate to say this, but there were cages in a sense, three of them. And so little Max and Kaylee, I renamed them. I think their names were uh, Joe and, and Rose or something like that, but I renamed them. They were there and they were about three months old at the time. So they were there and it was just, I can't explain this, but it, it was an immediate, immediate connection with them. I remember I had the, the uh, gal open the little, the, the front door to the, to the cage there, to the crate, if you will. And I remember Kaylee reaching out her paw to me and I remember touching it. And then Max, they were, Kaylee was laying on top of Max and Max was just staring at me. And it was just such an immediate connection. And so I, of course, I said, I really want to file an application. It was through uh, Rescue House of San Diego. So, uh, and the gal said, well, I don't want to scare you, but there's already an application on them. I said, okay, well, that's fine, but I still would like to apply. So I applied and uh, filled out the application and went home. The next day I cleaned my apartment because in, in anticipation, I was like, I hope I get them. And I cleaned my apartment, getting, getting it all ready. And I called and I said, I'm just, you know, calling to check on the status of, of Max and Kaylee, which were named, I think, Jeff and Rose. I said, I cleaned my apartment. I don't know if, you know, if I'm going to get them, but I, I cleaned my apartment. I bleached the kitchen floors and all that in anticipation. And they said, and the gal said, oh, my goodness, wow. She was, like, totally amazed that I did that. And she's, well, she said, well, actually, uh, we were about to call you, and we'd like you to have them. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I started crying. It was just just an amazing feeling. And she did. the gal did share with me that I guess the other applicants lost one of their cats in the wildfire. I don't know if that was a determining factor on the part of the rescue house or not, but that was a tragedy. And I felt bad because, you know, they lost their cat. But... At the same time, I was elated that I was chosen to get Max and Kaylee. So I brought them home and they were, like I said, three months old. And I, I started them off just in my room because I had to work during the day and uh, got them acquainted with my my uh, master bedroom. And then when I'd come home at night, I'd let them out. I have, I've had cats all my life and I've never had cats like Max and Kaylee. There's just something, there's almost, if there is such a thing, and I think there is, if you can have a soulmate between a human and an animal, Kaylee and Max are my soulmates and I think I'm theirs. And so uh, just wonderful times with them. And Max actually in 2006 got a very bad pilonidal cyst and he had to go through horrendous surgery and all of that. And he came out of that just fine. But fast forward to uh, 2016, I, he had actually a little conjunctivitis in his eye. So I took him up to my uh, veterinarian, Dr. Houston. And incidentally, they found a heart murmur. And so I think it was fate that he had that conjunctivitis to alert me of his heart murmur. 
So, uh, of course, I, I got him in right away to get a, an echocardiogram, ultrasound of the heart. And, of course, they, they found out that he had cardiomyopathy. And they said, you know, with proper treatment and medication, he can live, you know, a fairly long life. And so I was hopeful. So we put him on a dose of beta blockers. And he was on that, he was on them for about maybe four, four days went by that he was on the beta blockers. And uh, one night I was laying on, I was laying on the bed with him. He was right next to me. And all of a sudden he was breathing very, very fast, hyperventilating. And I, and I noticed, I'm like, this is not normal. And then he jumped off the bed and started wailing with this sound that I never, ever want to hear again. And I had to rush him immediately to the emergency hospital. And so they took him right back. And then the doctor came out shortly after and said, worst case scenario, this is heart failure. But it could be a reaction to the beta blocker. Beta blockers he was on. So I was like, okay, hopefully it's that. And so they continued on with treating him. And so I went back out into the waiting room. And uh, this is an example of synchronicity, what I'm going to share with you. And uh, on the overhead speakers um, above, the song Endless Love was playing. And I tuned into that song. I'm like, that's weird. This song is playing. And about a minute later, two minutes later, the veterinarian, because I I had a view of the, the double doors to go back into the treatment area from where I was sitting. And, uh, I saw the doctor come out. I knew. I knew right away based on the look on his face what he was going to tell me. He walked up to me and he said, I'm so sorry, but it is the latter. Max is going into heart failure. Meanwhile, the song Endless Love is playing, um, which is not coincidental. And so I, they let me go back and see him. And he was you know, hooked up to the, to the EKGs and he had oxygen on him and all that. And I, if I, if they had let me, I would have stayed all night with him. But of course, there were other animals there. They don't let you do that. So I got about five to 10 minutes with him and more like 10. And I, I just kept telling him how much he's loved that, you know, we're always going to be together, you know, just for eternity. And so I went home and the next day I, I went back to the place and I saw a specialist, um, a, a, a veterinarian that obviously specializes in cardiology. And so he said, you know, there's a couple other things we can try, but he did warn me, you know, I'm not so sure how it's going to turn out, but we can try it. I said, that, that's fine. Do whatever you can. So I went home. Um, I wasn't even hungry, but I stopped and got Carl's Jr., which I don't even like to eat anyways, but I just, it was just, I was lost. I was very lost. So I went home and it was about two hours later and I got the call from that specialist and he said, you better come here right away. Um, it's not going to be too much longer. And so, I mean, the worst car ride of my life, I was sobbing as I, and my mom actually drove me because I was just not in my right state of mind. And so we rushed over there and I spent about 30 minutes in the consultation room with the veterinarian. And I said, I don't want to have guilt later on with knowing that I could have tried other things. Is there anything else that can be tried? And he, he said, we've done everything. And I said, okay. And I just said, I don't want to have guilt later on knowing that I could have tried something. He said, we've tried everything. And so he said, it's time. And, and I knew it was time. And I, it would have been horrible for me to prolong his condition because, you know, he had some brain damage from, from uh, the lack of oxygen and all of that. And so I said, this is his rite of passage. I need to honor it and I need to be strong for him. So they pulled they, the vet technician um, opened the doors and my mom and I went back and I he was laying on a table max with an oxygen mask and he was out of it but I leaned down so my eyes were on his eyes the, the same level and I was petting him and he looked at me it was a moment of clarity and I knew that he recognized me I knew he could sense my presence and had that moment of clarity and I said Matt I just kept echoing Max you're my golden boy I love you so much I love you so much sweetie we're always going to be together always and so the veterinarian leaned down with the needle with the with the medication to to you know 
I hate this. I hate saying this. Put him to sleep. But I hate saying that, but that's essentially what that's what they say. And the needle that allowed him to transition. That's 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 much better. So uh, he started to put it in, and I and I put my hand. I said, "Give me, give me, just give me another thirty seconds." And so I just said what I needed to say. I said, Max, sweetie, I love you so much. You know, mommy loves you so much. And so then I was like, okay. And I watched as they administered it and his eyes just closed and it was very peaceful. And so afterward, some people may think this is morbid, but to me, it was very healing. They wrapped Max in a, a, like, I think it was a pink and brown, like paw printed blanket and they wrapped him in it. And then they, there's a room set aside, uh, very quaint, very, uh, very peaceful room. And they gave Max to me and I held him in my arms and, you know, he looked very peaceful. My mom had a chance to hold him in her arms and and all that. And so uh, we had about 10 minutes with him. And then, like I said, it was very, very peaceful. And we went home later that night. I started immediately having experiences with him. I heard his meow so strong when I got up in my bedroom, but it it came from a distance, like really, really far away, but yet it was so close, like what you hear with disembodied voices. And so I heard that. And then later on that night, and I don't know if some of this is maybe a bereavement hallucination or, or anything like that, but I was laying in bed and I was crying. And of course, Kaylee was comforting me. But all of a sudden, my hand was actually on a pillow, but all of a sudden, I felt fur, and I hadn't moved my hand, but I felt a warm fur, and then it was like pulsating up and down as if you put your hand on your dog or cat's belly, and, and you can feel them breathing. That's what I felt. And so I knew, I, I just sensed him very strongly, and it was the next night that I had a dream where it was a weird dream. I, I, dreams are strange, but I was out near a lake or a pond and all of a sudden coming out of the pond was this very white duck and it was approaching me, but then the duck transitioned into Max and he walked up toward me and, and, and it was weird. He put his two front paws around me and, and hugged me and then I woke up. And it was just such a, a moment of of peace and a moment of knowing that he's okay. I think he came to me to let me know he's okay. And I've had so many encounters with him. I mean, he's everywhere. He jumps on the bed. I'll hear him meow. I'll hear his little, um, the disembodied uh, clack, clack, clack of his nails in the kitchen when no one is in there. I mean, you name it. So he he comes around. So very spiritual experience. And, and all I can say to someone who's, you know, lost a beloved animal, it's, it's one of the most tortuous things that can happen to a human. What I, I never thought that I would heal as quickly as I did from Max's passing. All I can say, and it's very hard to put in words, it's going to sound weird, but I felt his soul almost, I felt him, I, I felt him like be a part of me at all times. So, of course, I you know, missed his physical self, but I knew he was with me at all times. And that it's hard to explain, but that really, really helped me. And so I really, uh, really thank him for that. But uh, he makes visits all the time. Uh, goofy cat. He was a 20-pound cat, <laughs> very large cat, but just such a love bug. So I miss him greatly, but I'm very honored to have had those experiences. So... Um, Moving on, let me take some water because my voice. Moving on, I probably should have started with this one because in chronological order. So my maternal uh, grandfather, uh, Andrew F. Lopinto, he was the husband of, of course, my grandmother, Helen Lopinto. And I've shared my experiences with her passing when I was in college, but I've shared that story so many times on radio, I thought I'd share his So he was a medical doctor here in San Diego, obstetrician. He had his own practice, and he really took care of the large Italian community here in San Diego. So a very well-known doctor in the city. Very bright man. He loved to ice skate. He played the violin. He uh, uh, self-taught himself how to to speak many different languages, all of that. So just an all-around great guy. 
And so he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 1992, I believe it was. It might have been 91. Uh, And so, of course, I was in middle school at this time. And uh, his Alzheimer's progressed pretty rapidly to the point that he was bedbound, right? Had to wear diapers and all of that. We had nurses taking care of him. So uh, this experience starts. So the night before he passed, I was actually, my mom and I were staying at their house in San Diego in the Kensington area, which was about 10 minutes from Tierra Santa, which is where I live. And so we were spending the night down there. And so I was staying upstairs. Their house was very unique. When you go upstairs, there was a big rumpus room. And then there was a big, large bedroom and, and a bar out in the rumpus room. So I was staying in the in the big bedroom, which is where my mom and her sister, Andrea, used to sleep. And, and that was their bedroom when they were kids. And so I woke up in the morning and I heard the garage door opening because the garage was directly below the, the bedroom. And I woke up, sat up in bed, mind you, I think I was 13, I think at this time. And I sat up in bed and I said, grandpa died. And so I went downstairs and I walk in the kitchen and there sat my my grandmother and my mom. And I could tell by the look of their faces that he had passed. They told me he had passed. They asked if I wanted to see him because he was still in the bed. And I said, yeah, I would love to. And so I went back in, in his master bedroom and I and I stood by his bed and I talked to him and told him how much I loved him. And there was a very interesting rose scent, which is, I guess, very common when someone passes. He looked very peaceful, very, very peaceful. Uh, again, I had my time with him and then they came and, and took his, his body and all that. So because he was in the military, he was in World War II. He was a, a oh gosh, I, I, I always thought that he was a lieutenant commander, but I'm forgetting his title. But he was on the USS Ormsby during World War II, a medical officer, I think it was. And so he had a full military funeral with all the honors and everything, which was very, very emotional. And going to the funeral was we heard the song Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers that was playing on the way to the funeral, which was held at Green Mortuary. And so, uh, of course, you know, with the the 21 gun salute and the playing of taps and all of that, in the front row, it was my grandmother and then me and then my mom. So the main family was sitting in the front row. And I remember distinctly, I remember them handing the flag to my grandmother. And when she reached out to get it, her hands were shaking and I was watching her. And then every time the guns went off, she would just like jolt. You know, it was very emotional for her. I mean, for all of us, but for her especially. And so very moving funeral, very moving service. And so so fast forward a little bit. When we came home from the funeral services now, I forgot to say this before. So up in the rumpus room on a wall, like right outside the bedroom that I was staying, on the wall, there was a picture of... Jesus on the cross, you know, my grandparents were Catholic, quite religious. And so there was a picture, just a standard picture with a glass picture with Jesus on the cross. So that was hanging up and that had been up on the wall for years. I mean, years, not moved. And so after the funeral, I came, we obviously we we had like a little family outing at this Mexican restaurant. And then after that was said and done, uh, my mom, grandmother and I came back to her house. We were exhausted, of course. And uh, I, at after visiting with them and all that, I walk upstairs and I kid you not on the floor, that picture that I just described with Jesus on the cross, that picture was in a bunch of different pieces, glass everywhere. And the Jesus portion was off the cross. Now, some may say, well, so, you know what? You got to look at the deeper meaning here. At 13 years old, I knew that something, this is a message somehow. This has to be a message. Come on now. That picture never fell off the wall, let alone broke with Jesus off the cross, laying there right before my eyes. I believe that was a message maybe from grandpa, maybe from the universe, letting me know that grandpa was no longer confined 
to the pain and suffering of Alzheimer's. So Jesus on the cross, that Jesus off the cross symbolized his freedom from having that horrible disease and symbolized his rebirth, I guess, if you will, in the afterlife. Very, very profound experience there. So to this day, I will be driving my car and many times I will be thinking of my grandfather. Uh, maybe I'm engaging in conversation about him and the song Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers comes on every time. So these are the types of experiences that uh, you can have. Um, I have about 12 minutes left. I do want to share another story. It's not mine. Um, I do have this in, uh, in uh, the upcoming book, actually. Uh, and it's one of my dear friends. I, I, it's shared in the book, but I don't necessarily have her permission to reveal her name on the show. I didn't ask her, but I'll just, so I'm not for confidentiality, but I'll share the story. Um, she gave me permission to share it in the book. So one of my friends, um, dads, uh, passed many years ago. And so she told me about a dream that she had right before he passed. He was on the brink of passing. So she had this dream where she was in, I think, her old house, if you will. And standing on the top of the stairs was her father. And so she had a chance to go up and hug him and spend time with him and embrace him in the dream. And so then after that, she, when she was telling me the story, and of course, like I said, it's in the book, she woke up and uh, she went in the kitchen, turned the light on, I think. And then she right shortly after that received a call from her mom saying her dad had passed in the middle of the night. So very profound. These are the types of experiences that I'm telling you about. Real quickly, as a lot of you know, Allie and I are the hosts of the Spirits of the Adobe Tours at the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe. Oh my, I just realized I forgot to take a break. Oh my go oh my goodness. Look, I don't know if we want to forego the break or if we continue to go. I don't know if Todd, are you available? Can you let me know? Oh God, please. I forgot to take a break. <gasps> Shame on me. Um, I don't know if we should continue or what. Uh, it's only 10 minutes in the show. Well, I'll continue. And then if he lets me know, then we can take a break. Oh, my gosh. I am so sorry. Jeez. Hello. 45-minute break. Oh, my gosh. Anyways. <sighs> my goodness. But anyways, so getting back to the Adobe, Allie and I host Spirits of the Adobe Tours at the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe. Two weeks ago, I had Allie on, and we talked all about it. And so um, we were leading a tour one night. I think this was 2018. I want to say 2018, 2017-18. And I do want to make it known that Allie and I both have had very profound experiences at the Adobe with deceased loved ones. Allie's story of hers is in um, Spirits of the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe book that we wrote. So mine, we were on a tour and we were in the master bedroom and we were uh, conducting an instrumental trans communication spirit box session. There were about 10 people on the tour because it's max 10 people. It was a full tour. And so we were doing our session, blah, blah, blah. And then a couple of days later, when I was reviewing the audio, I didn't hear this live. And sometimes that happens, as you know, with ITC, you can hear vocalizations or phrases come through very loudly and then with your with your naked ear, but they're not necessarily captured really well on on recording, or it could be vice versa. So uh, it was uh, one of those situations where I didn't hear it live, but I heard it when I reviewed the audio. And so uh, it was about the middle of the session, and I I forget exactly. I'd have to go back to the audio to remember exactly what question I asked before, but it was obviously a question directed to the spirits and you hear, and it's a vocalization that I, I recognized there were two, my grandfather and grandmother. Now, someone would say, well, you don't know for sure. You'd have to get that forensically examined, and maybe I should. But A, I knew the voices. The voices were absolutely just like theirs when they were living. And two, it was the context of what was said. 
So what was said was my grandfather, I love you, Nicole. And then right after that, my grandmother said, go home, Fulvio, F-U-L-V-O. Now, Fulvio was a nickname ascribed to my grandfather, only known by the immediate family. So that, when I heard that, I remember taking my headphones off. I think I not through them, but I put them down on the table just very violently. And I was just staring. My eyes were like bugging out and I started to have tears. I'm like, I, I didn't just hear this. Oh my God. I didn't just hear this. So I immediately shared it with Allie, had her listen to it. And uh, we were just both blown away. And so the Adobe is one of those locations. A, we've been there so many times. It's an ongoing case study for us and where we do our tours. But I do believe there, there might be some portals there or a portal but they came through and it's it's those types of experiences that are just so so profound uh, when my other grand when my paternal grandmother passed away uh, my family has a timeshare up at, at the Welk resort of Escondido so I was staying this was about oh gosh it was a couple of months after she passed uh, Marion Strickland uh, my dad's mom so I was up at the Welk Resort, and all of a sudden, I heard with my naked ear, disembodied voice, my name, Nicole. And it, it sounded like Marion. And I said, Grandma, are you here? And then I heard her talk after, but I couldn't really make out this, exactly what she was saying. But then I also smelled her perfume very strongly as well, which I have in, at her house as well. So, uh, I mean, I have so many of these stories and there are so many in the book, more of mine and, and a lot more from other people uh, that are just really profound, that really open up your eyes to, um, you know, having these experiences with spirit. So in the book, really quickly, I know we only have a few minutes, uh, I, I do want to just share, and of course, this is elaborated on in the book as, as well as many other topics. So what can people do to heal their loss while honoring their loved one, right? There's a lot of different things you can do. Some, what one person may like, another person may like something different. That's fine. Everyone's different. Here are some things I talk about. That, I, that have helped me in the past, so I thought I'd share them. So one is set aside time to think of your loved one every day, just just putting that energy out and thinking of them and letting them know that, that they're loved and that you love them. Uh, set aside maybe a special place in your home or office designated to their memory, whether it's a little candle or whether if you want to do a shrine, wh whatever, something to honor their memory. I know with uh, Max, we actually planted a big old uh, succulent plant and it's actually grown so big we've had to like repot it and all that. And it's in a bright green pot that kind of matched his eye color. So things like that. Celebrations of life with family and friends are always a really good way to gather with people. I think being with people can really help with the grieving process as well. Get out in nature, plant, plant flowers, go on a hike. Uh, like I said, uh, create like a potted plant or, or whatever, whether it's a succulent or uh, um, tulips, whatever it is um, to honor them. Uh, writing a letter to your loved one. That's helpful. Live your life to the fullest, right? Live your life to the fullest, honoring your loved one's legacy by living your life to the fullest. Partake in something that, uh, they used to love to do. Do that once in a while to honor their memory. Help someone in need, you know, volunteering at an animal shelter or whatnot. Help someone in need. And like I said, I'll repeat it again. Carry out their legacy by living your life to the fullest. I think that's a, a, one of the biggest ways you can honor not only yourself, but your loved one's memory by doing that. So this hour has flown by. Thank you for tuning in for those that, uh, have tuned in. Of course, the episode will be archived and found anywhere you can get podcasts as well. I also have a Podbean page, afterlifechronicles.podbean.com. 
Uh, if, like I said, if you haven't checked out already, uh, check out the WLTKDB website, WLTKDB.com or the Let's Talk.com. And I just want to end with a few things. We all experience the loss of loved ones. Physical death is as much a part of life as life itself. It's when we embrace it as opposed to fear it when the healing magic happens. And as always here at the Afterlife Chronicles, we are bridging the gap between mortality and the afterlife one experience at a time. Good night, folks, and have a great weekend.